The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Well, good morning, church family. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to hear the word? Father, we come to you this morning desperately needing to hear from your word. Only you can take the next 40 minutes and use your word in such a way that you bring your people out of the depths of despair, that you root out the worry that lies in our hearts. Only you can lift our eyes through your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit to see Jesus clearly this morning. And so God, I ask that you would help us. Help us to do this. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In 1834, there was only enough housing for 3,600 orphan children in all of England. However, around that same time, the Lord raised up a man by the name of George Mueller. Mueller built five orphan houses, which would go on to care for over 10,000 orphan children during his lifetime. He didn't take a salary, nor did he ever ask anyone directly for money. He simply prayed and trusted that the Lord would provide exactly what they needed. And for all of the years of his life and ministry, not one orphan child went hungry. Mueller was asked for a reason why this was his approach, and he said this, that the hand of God might be seen in the matter, that my fellow believers might be encouraged more to trust him, and that also those who know not the Lord may have fresh proof that indeed it is not a vain thing to pray to God. The two aims of Mueller's life were to trust in the Lord in such a way that his fellow brothers and sisters' faith would be strengthened and to give evidence to lost people that God is real. This type of trust in the Lord was the consistent pattern of his life. Mary Groves was the wife of George Mueller for 39 years before she died of a severe illness. Mueller recounted the day that he heard the diagnosis from the doctor. This is what he said. My heart was broken on account of the depth of my affection. Someone asked him how he was able to, to get through the days from her diagnosis to the day of her eventual death. And these are the truths that he said he was consistently reminding himself of. He would say, I am in myself a poor, worthless sinner. I have been saved by the blood of Christ. God is sovereign over life and death. I am satisfied in God. George Mueller saw many of his prayers answered throughout his life, but he was no stranger to suffering and loss. But rather than being driven to despair, he continued to trust the Lord. During his life and long after his death, 
His story continues to strengthen the faith of God's people. Mueller was concerned as he met many professing Christians that their lives were both consumed with the world and consumed with worry. He wanted his fellow believers to know that even amidst the difficulties of life, that God can be trusted. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus has the same concern for his people. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what we will wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our text this morning comes from the most famous sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount was, has been written on and studied extensively by well-known scholars throughout church history. It's likely that many of us in this room are familiar with the content of this sermon from Jesus. And because of this, I fear, for some, it will be a temptation to dismiss how much we need to be reminded of and instructed from this passage Brothers and sisters, let's not make that mistake and let's trust in the Lord's kind providence that he put us together this morning to hear from a familiar passage from his word for our spiritual good. So let's jump into our text with a heart eagerly expecting the Lord to speak. But first, I think it's helpful to briefly explain what has already been taking place up to this point in Matthew. We see that prior to giving this sermon, Jesus has started his ministry. He has been healing, teaching, and preaching in synagogues throughout all of Galilee. Jesus has called his disciples and his followers were continuing to grow in rapid number. And because of this, Jesus goes up on a mountain, he sits down, and he begins teaching those who were coming to him. Jesus had already been preaching on how to enter the kingdom of God, namely through repentance and faith. Now he is preaching both what citizens of the kingdom look like and what life in the kingdom looks like. 
Jesus also throughout this sermon is telling us how God relates to his people. One of the consistent themes that we see in the teaching of Jesus is that he repeatedly refers to God as our Father. We see from chapter 5 to to chapter 6, he uses the name Father around 12 times. What this tells us is that the kingdom of God is unlike any other kingdom. The kingdoms and the rulers of this earth demand external submission and obedience, and they will accomplish it through fear and force if necessary. The easy way for earthly rulers to control their people is to always keep them worried about their lives. This is not what life in the kingdom looks like. The people of God are not merely loyal subjects, but beloved children of their heavenly Father. In the kingdom of God, our Father is not after begrudging external submission from a heart of worry, but glad submission from a heart of trust. The aim of Jesus in our passage is to persuade us away from focusing on the things of this world that lead us to worry and to fix our eyes on our heavenly Father, which lead to trust. Now, this is not a topical sermon on worry, so we will not be looking at all of what the Bible has to say about worry or even what our world has to say about worry. But I think we can find real hope and help from Jesus in our passage this morning for our worry. And because I think worry is a term that is so often thrown out, even in our culture, even in our, maybe in our Christian circles that we throw out often, I think it's helpful to define what we are talking about. I think it's helpful to provide a definition of worry. This is how I would define worry and how I think the Bible would define worry. Worry is the result of our heart being overly concerned and overly fixated on unknown future outcomes. Let me say that again. Worry is the result of our heart being overly concerned and overly fixated on unknown future outcomes. When we worry, our minds often look to the unknown, seeking control over what is outside of our control. Worry is our sinful heart's attempt to replace God on his throne. When we worry, we forget both the character and the promises of God. So my preaching this passage to you this morning is to re-remind you that the sovereign God of the universe is your heavenly Father. By God's grace, my prayer is that by being reminded of Him, our eyes will move away from ourselves and the cares of this world so that our worry that often grips our hearts would lose its hold in our lives. Christian, are you filled with worry this morning? You have a father who can be trusted. I want to convince you of this this morning by giving three reminders about our heavenly father that lead to trust him. Three reminders about our heavenly father that lead to trust him. First reminder, our heavenly father's care. Look down at verse 25. Jesus uses the word, therefore, And what he is doing is he is anticipating the natural question that comes into the minds of his listeners. In verses 19 through 24, which we already read, 
He taught against devoting our hearts to money and possessions. He was saying citizens of the kingdom are to have a single-eyed devotion to their king. You cannot give your heart to wealth and to God at the same time. So the natural question is, if I give my undivided loyalty to the kingdom of God, who is going to take care of my earthly needs? Jesus knows the impulse of our fallen hearts, doesn't he? Knowing our sinful hearts, he both anticipates and answers this question. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. The word he uses for worry literally means to have a divided or distracted mind. This is a command from Jesus not to worry about the most basic essentials of life. And you might be asking yourself, well, how can I not worry about these things? Well, he gives a couple of reasons. He first asks, isn't life more than food? And the body more than clothing? He is communicating that the food we eat, the water that we drink, and the clothes that we wear are not ultimate. These things are means that sustain our lives, but they are not our lives. In other words, the food, drink, and clothing that you need are not an end in themselves. Jesus is saying, if God made your body and he gave you life, isn't he going to take care of the means that sustain your life? Your life and your body are far more important to God. The problem is when our hearts are overcome with worry, our vision tends to become narrow and it becomes difficult to get our eyes away from ourselves and from the cares of this world. Jesus, knowing this, wants to redirect our attention to the way God cares for his creation. Look down at verse 26. He says, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. The birds of the sky, they don't operate like us in the way that we work. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather up food and store it for the future. Every day the birds go out searching with a God-given impulse that the food they need will be there. In this illustration, it's not advocating that we should be idle or that Jesus is saying that trusting in the Lord is opposed to hard work. The birds of the sky, they go out and they search and they work hard to find their food. The point is that the food they eat doesn't primarily come from their labor, but the providential hand of God. He sovereignly oversees his creation to ensure that they are cared for. This is what Jesus says, even though they don't function like us, your heavenly Father still feeds them. And notice he doesn't say, their heavenly Father. He says, your heavenly Father. The language is intentional. Jesus is communicating how the one who cares for us relates to us. The Lord is not some CEO or government official who indifferently writes out checks. We are not just another number to God. He is our Father, and in Christ, we are his beloved children. 
And if God ensures that the birds of the sky are cared for, do you think he won't care for his children? This is the argument that Jesus is making from the lesser to the greater. In verse 26, he asks, aren't you worth more than they? And in one sense, this is true and speaks to human dignity and being made in the image of God. But even more so, this is true for the children of God, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, do you see God as your heavenly father? Do you really see him as your father in heaven? I think some, for some of us, we picture God as a cruel king that throws down scraps to care for his people. Too often, we do not see God as our father. So we work and we work and we work as if everything is dependent upon us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the trouble with us is that we do not realize that we are children of our Heavenly Father. If only we realize that, we should never worry again. Many times I take my children for granted, but there are many moments, many sweet moments, that I just look at them and I think, man, I love them so much. And it has nothing to do with their performance. I mean, you should stop by our house some nights at bedtime like, and see the shenanigans that take place. Nothing to do with their performance. I am their father and they are my children. I love them. I delight in them. And I am a sinful man. I am an imperfect father. How much more do you think your heavenly father loves you and will care for you. What makes all the difference in our moments of worry is remembering that we have a father who cares for us and about us. Let me ask you, do you believe that you are valuable to God? For some, even asking that question makes us feel uncomfortable. But if you need further evidence that he cares for you and actually cares about you, look to the cross. Paul says in Romans 5.8, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The more we look to the cross, the more our hearts are persuaded to distrust the lies that our worries speak. When I'm tempted to worry, I can look to Jesus and I can know with certainty that he will never stop caring for me. But our worry tells us that we shouldn't look to God, but that we should look to ourselves, that we better figure it out on our own or no one else will. So we focus all of our attention on running through different scenarios and outcomes in our minds. This is why Jesus, knowing this, asks in verse 27, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And the obvious answer is no. Because our days are not ultimately in our hands. You will not be able to add a single day to your life through worrying because no one but God has appointed your beginning and end. If we look back on our lives, I bet we would not find any spiritual fruit that has ever been produced from our worry. But if we look back on our lives at the times we looked to God and remembered his character, 
I bet we would find much spiritual good that was produced. Now, this does not mean we shouldn't be concerned over our circumstances that are difficult. The Lord never asks us to deny the reality of living in a fallen world. Remember, worry is an over-concern that keeps your eyes overly fixated on unknown potential outcomes. We should be concerned when certain situations arise, and we should act in wisdom. The question is, where do you run to first or primarily with the unknown circumstances of life? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares about you. Do not worry, but remember you have a heavenly Father who cares. Second reminder about our heavenly Father. Our heavenly Father's provision. Our heavenly Father's provision. Look down at verses 28 through 29. He says, And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. Jesus is using another illustration from nature to illustrate the providential care of God. He wants to draw our eyes to the wildflowers of the field to both remind us of their passivity and beauty. The wildflowers of the field, they they do nothing to cause themselves to grow. They do even less than the birds of the sky. But not only do they still grow... Their colors light up the fields of the earth. The Lord provides everything the flowers need to grow, and he does so in such a way that put his creative beauty on display. In fact, Jesus says the beauty of the wildflowers that the Lord made from the fields of the earth, they're so wonderful that not even Solomon and all of his wealth can compare. He says in verse 29, Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If you remember in 1 Kings, the Queen of Sheba visited Solomon to see if all of what she heard about his fame were true. And this is how 1 Kings chapter 10 verses 4 through 5 captures her response after her visit. It says, When the Queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace that he had built, the food at his table, his servants' residence, his attendants' service in their attire, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's table, it took her breath away. And yet, Jesus said that if you went and observed the fields of the earth that the Lord has made, there would be no competition. He is again making another argument from the lesser to the greater. He says in verse 30, If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? He's saying, look at the intentional and providential care of God. Look how he grows the beautiful flowers of the earth to clothe the grass. And then consider the worthlessness of grass. The grass is heading for the furnace to be burned, and yet every day your Father in heaven cares and provides for it. How much more is he going to provide for his children who are not destined for destruction, but eternal glory? 
Now, this does not mean that Jesus is promising us that we will be rich in this life. What he is doing is he's trying to show us the foolishness of worry when we have God as our Father. He never makes a promise that we will have great wealth, but he does promise that he will always care and provide for his people. But even though we know this, we don't always believe this, do we? This is why Jesus says, you of little faith. He gets to the root of our worry, which is really unbelief in the character and promises of God. Notice, though, he doesn't say, you of no faith. He says, you of little faith. Now, most of us, we don't have a problem with believing in Jesus. But too often, we have a problem with actually believing Jesus. We say we believe that salvation is provided and accomplished by God alone, Yet our worry says we don't believe we will, he will care and provide for us. We, we trust him with our eternity, but we don't tr- quite trust him with the everyday troubles of life. When Jesus says, you of little faith, I do think this is intended to be a rebuke, but probably not in the tone that we hear it in. In our worry, Satan loves to whisper, you of little faith. Are you even a Christian? His aim is our destruction. However, Jesus gives this gentle rebuke with the aim of our eternal good. Jesus is using x-ray-like questions to reveal the areas of our hearts that still haven't fully submitted to him. And what you you worry about, it, it not only reveals your distrust in God, but it also reveals what you've been trusting in too much. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we worry about functions like a map to the hidden treasures of our hearts. When what we treasure most is threatened, we worry. Let me ask you, what causes you to worry? Is it safety? Is it money? Is it the approval of others? Is it a ministry position? If we continue to put our trust in the things of this world, our lives will always feel unstable. You will never experience the rest and peace that God desires for your life. Because none of these things will be able to deliver what your heart is asking of them. The objects of our worry, they were never meant to be seen and enjoyed as an end in themselves. They were always meant to point our eyes to someone far greater, namely God. And in the providence of God, the the difficult circumstances of our life are not meant to cause us to bear down and to hold on to the things of this world more tightly, but to hold them more loosely so that we would run to and hold on to our Heavenly Father with a firmer grip of trust. Brothers and sisters, if you came here this morning full of worry, I want you to hear this precious promise from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, Keep your life free from the love of money, be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. 
There is nothing in this world that eventually won't be taken from us. The people we love the most in this life won't be be able to stay by our side forever. But there is one who is worthy of our ultimate trust who will. Your heavenly father will never leave you or abandon you. You can trust him because the one who promises to never leave you nor forsake you will always care and provide for you. This is a promise you can preach to yourself. You can bank your entire life on it. The worries that consume our hearts, they lie to us. But your heavenly father never will. Do not worry, but remember you have a heavenly father who provides. Third reminder, our heavenly father's priorities. Our heavenly father's priorities. Look down at verses 31 through 32. Jesus says, so don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He again gives this command, don't worry, because constant worry over the things of this world, it's what characterizes unbelievers. Meaning to worry over the basic essentials of life is to function as if God is not real. This is not the way citizens of the kingdom are to live. D.A. Carson comments on this when he says, The follower of Jesus will be concerned to have a distinctive lifestyle, one that is characterized by values and perspectives so unpegan that his life and conduct are, as it were, stamped all over with the words, made in the kingdom of God. Unbelievers live in a constant state of worry, Because they believe that this life is dependent upon them. They seek after and focus on the things of this world because they believe that this world is all that there is. But for the children of God, our life should look different. Why? Because by God's grace, we know that we aren't products of random chance. Because by God's grace, we know our best life is yet to come. Because by God's grace, we know that our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. He knows what you need right now. Jesus says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows. He knows better than you know. And because the Lord sovereignly cares, provides, and knows the needs of his people, our hearts should not worry. The unstable and unreliable hope that we once lived for should not characterize our lives any longer. In Christ, we have laid down our former pursuits and allegiances. But citizens in the kingdom of God, they don't just give up old pursuits. Jesus knows our worry won't be overcome by just telling us to stop worrying. In order for us to grow in our trust, we not only need to stop worrying, but our worry also needs to be replaced. He says in verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. In Christ, with God as our Father, we have been freed from a life consumed with the world. We have been freed to embrace a life consumed with the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The matters of first importance in our hearts have been radically altered. Our biggest concern is is no longer how much more can I save for the future, 
but how can I submit my entire life to the Lord today? Do you ask yourself that question? How can I submit my entire life to the Lord today? Or have you been too over-concerned about the future unknowns of this life? So several months ago, one of our daughters had strange marks that appeared on her arms. They didn't look like anything that we had ever seen before. And so we went to the doctor and they ran some tests. Everything came back normal. And so that same night, we, we go home and we go to bed. And one of our girls gets out of bed and she has marks all over her arms. And so we rushed her to the ER and the ER doctor runs a bunch of tests and again, everything comes back normal. They have no idea what's going on. Um, a really scary situation. So they refer us to oncology to, at Children's Mercy to see a doctor there, to see a specialist. And because we had to set up the appointment, there was some time that went by that we had, had to wait. And during the waiting process, I thought I was doing pretty good with my thoughts. Didn't think I was running to worst-case scenarios but we go to Children's Mercy Oncology and I'm sitting in the waiting room and it became obvious that many children in that room were in a far different situation than we were. Our worst case scenario was a present reality for many families in that room. So at this point, I'm beginning to struggle in my thoughts. We get a room and we go back and we're waiting for the doctor and what I heard next, I will never forget in my entire life, there was a little boy in the room next to us yelling at the top of his lungs, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And at the time, Stephanie and I looked at each other and our hearts broke for them. But at the same time, I immediately began to say to myself, this is our future. And I started to picture what that day would be like and the devastation our family would feel. My mind sort of just was living here. But praise God, we didn't get bad news. However, we still got news of uncertainty. And while the Lord has been kind to me, I still find myself struggling with those types of thoughts at times. But do you know who was absent from my thoughts in those moments? My Heavenly Father. You see, our worry tends to create future alternate realities where God does not exist and we are all alone and left to ourselves. You know what would have been a good question for me to ask myself in those moments? Stephen, where is God? And if I would have been honest, I would have said, I don't know. I hadn't thought about him much. And I share this because I'm not preaching to you something that I don't have to preach to myself every single day of my life. My prayer in the car on the way home is, Lord, this is really hard. But you have been far better to me than I deserve. I know you're faithful. So help me to trust you today, knowing that you will help me to lead my family with whatever tomorrow brings. Trusting God with the future unknown circumstances of this life can never be passive. Our worry is either choking out our trust in the Lord or our trust in the Lord is choking out our worry. You will not be able to withdraw from this fight. Living in a fallen world will not allow it. 
But Jesus doesn't command us not to worry because if you trust him, there won't be anything difficult that comes into your life. He gives this command assuming there will be many difficulties that come. This is why Jesus says in verse 34, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When trouble in our lives come, our worry often seeks to run ahead of the grace he's provided today. And although the Lord does promise grace for tomorrow, he gives grace to his people today. He will give his people everything they need to think, respond, and act in ways that honor him today. And with every day the Lord has numbered for our lives, we can faithfully focus on and pursue the kingdom of God. We can be wise and we can plan for the future while trusting in the Lord's faithfulness to provide everything that we need. When the character of God and pursuing his kingdom become the consuming concern of our hearts, our worry will begin to grow dim in our lives. Our greatest hope in difficulty is not that worst case scenarios won't come true, but that if they do, God will still be on his throne. Our greatest hope is not in our ability to come up with strategies, but that our Heavenly Father will always be near to the brokenhearted, caring for his children. This is really good news for his people, isn't it? We are not in the hands of cancer. We are not in the hands of a virus. And we are certainly not in the hands of some indifferent ruler. We are in the hands of our Heavenly Father. Brothers and sisters, is there any safer place you would rather be? Jesus died in our place and was resurrected from the grave. Do you think there is anything in this life that will be able to pluck you from his hand? The cry of Jesus from the cross, it is finished, is a reminder to us that God always keeps his promises. In Christ, we can repent of our worry and trust in Jesus because our future has been secured. Hear these words from 1 John 3.1. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. Do not worry, but remember your heavenly Father's priorities. I want to close with a quote from George Mueller who is inviting you to trust the Lord and to experience rest from your worried-filled heart. Hear these words from this saint. He says, My dear Christian reader, will you not try this way? Will you not know for yourself the preciousness and the happiness of this way of casting all your cares and burdens and necessities upon God? This way is as open to you as to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust in him with his whole heart, and to cast his burden upon him, and to call upon him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this, my dear brethren in Christ? I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart, in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, yet you can be at peace because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you.